The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, Motorcycle Madness, Ford News and Rumors, and who is Tony Shalhoub and why do we care? Plus, special guest Jeremy Porter, founder of Atlanta Motorsports Park. All that and a whole lot more informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Tim DePasquale, upholstered to the stars. Tim, how's it going? Good, Bud. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. Moving, going good? Mm, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, except uh, for the goats, yeah. Except for yeah. the goats and the chickens and the dogs and the cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we got a lot of cool stuff to talk about today on the podcast. Uh, first of all, we were, we're going to go gyroscopic with, uh, with a... Uh, Motorcycles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about the Tremec torque vectoring uh, device that has been introduced, 800 horsepower. Um, right. Very small unit mm-hmm. that can be used in electric cars. Tremec has come out with it. And uh, we're going we're gonna to answer all the questions that people have been wondering about uh, movies and all sorts of informative automotive buffoonery. Plus, our special guest is a special guy, CEO, uh, owner of Atlanta Motorsports Park, a country club for folks that are interested in cars and want to race on a, on a F1 design racetrack and uh, live the lifestyle. Right. And then we're going to start a new segment uh, that we're going to do once a month, and that's where we're going to bring in my oldest son, who is the uh, sales manager at uh, Green Ford, local mm-hmm. Ford dealership here. But he is into sports car racing, F1 stuff, uh, and he's into the business of Ford. Not only what's going on at his dealership, but what goes on in the business end of things. So he's got a perspective that's uh, a little wider than just the local perspective. Right. And really, it's it, it'll, it'll help folks understand what their local dealership goes through and uh, also what's Ford, what Ford is up to. And... Uh, He's he's not shy about it. So, right, he is. Uh, we're we're going to do that once a month, and I think people will enjoy that. We had an astute listener. Remember, it was a week or two or three or four years ago. I don't remember how long it was. Wanted to know what torque vectoring is. We were talking about that Tremec drive unit, 800 horsepower that's torque right, vectoring. Right, right, right. Do you know what torque vectoring is? Well, I think I do, but let's go ahead. Let's, let's, let's let you explain uh, it. You are the chicken. <laughs> well, th- this is where it's the- nothing new. Right. Okay. Go ahead. It's it's basically your differential does this all the time. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's letting one wheel go faster than the other, applying more power to it when you're going around a corner mm-hmm. if it loses traction, that kind of stuff. This torque vectoring unit is just doing it electronically. Right, but it's a little bit smarter, and especially on oh, yeah, an yeah. all-wheel drive Correct. vehicle, it does all four wheels at the same time. Right, right? it's using it's using clutch packs, and mm-hmm. they're they're uh, activated by the computer, either through pneumatics or electrically. Uh, you know, it all sounds all whiz bang great, bud. But you know, the only thing I think of when I think of things like this is, I bet that's expensive to fix. Ah, uh, um, I, I don't know. I would think you could. One thing about it is, if you got to replace one of these torque vectoring units, it's a small component with clutches in it. 
and it's a separate assembly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing it on a car that's got it built into the rear end, then you got to tear the whole rear end apart. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's six to one half dozen the other, I guess. Well, you remember as long the, as you know uh, what you're doing. You know. In the early 2000s, GMC had a truck that had rear steer. Oh, rear, yeah. Rear wheels. Yeah, and yeah. I always thought, man, I bet that's going to be expensive to maintain, but I never heard anything about them. I wonder, they must have been pretty good units because, uh, or maybe they didn't sell that many of them. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe well, maybe people can't get away from the curb to, to get to the dealership <laughs> to complain about it. I, I have no idea. Okay, we were talking about this last week, Tim. Yes. A Yamaha motorcycle that can balance itself at low speeds, and you thought this was a good idea. Well, whoop, it, whoop it on me. I mean, we were Why? talking. We were talking about most motorcycle accidents mm-hmm. happen at low speed in the gas station parking lot, in the in your driveway. In the, it's, it's yeah. We're not talking you, collisions now. We're just talking. We're just talking about dropping the, the bike. Dropping the bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of that happens because you get off balance, and a lot of these bikes, like mine, they weigh nine hundred pounds. I mean, it's a lot to hold up when you're in those situations. So Yamaha has come up with... Now, remember we did the story a few weeks ago about the uh, Indian motorcycle that had the liquor in the paint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Jack Daniels edition. Well, now, see, this is the ultimate bar hopping bike. If you're going to bar <laughs> oh, hop, no. you want something that <laughs> you can, can balance it. You can balance it, right. So but, how are they going to market it? If you've, if, you've got a, if you've got an Indian special edition, have we got something for yeah, you. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it's a, the... The verbiage on this doesn't go along really with the picture because the picture that it shows is like got a couple of training wheels at the rear. Yeah, I wondered what those are for. That come down to stabilize the bike. But when you're reading the verbiage, it says that it uses this uh, gyroscopic gyroscopic thing that uh, manipulates the front handlebars. Have you ever rode your motorcycle in a parade, bud? Um, No. It's the worst thing. Don't do that. It's a bad idea because you're going two miles an hour. Oh, yeah. On the 4th of July when it's 90 degrees and your Correct. bike's overheating and it's getting hot. Yeah, and you got that. your legs wrapped around. Yeah, it. yeah, and, yeah. And yeah. your daughter's on the back throwing candy at kids, throwing you off balance even more. And you're you're moving the handlebars back and forth. To try no, I've done that a lot when I was coming to a light or something like that when you thought the light was going to change. Oh, you know, yeah, when you slow yeah, it yeah. down. But no, I've never. So this is supposed I never to, bought a bike where I could not easily reach the ground. A cruiser bike. Well, see, that's a good yeah. idea. So, yeah, yeah, it's got. Because you will me. reach the ground eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, it's not for me, but uh, it's a great idea, I guess, if you're a beginner. You know. Okay. That the whole thing about bikes, and we're going to be talking about motorcycles later in the later in the show uh, some more. The whole thing about bikes is the whole gyroscopic effect of a bike under motion to begin with. We've got to get Rudy Kiefer in here to explain all this stuff. Because yes. I see these guys that race these motorcycles, and I mean, they're, they're doing The bike's already down. Yeah. Why is it not going out from under them? Right. So, it's crazy. We're going to get somebody that knows what they're talking about to come in. So, Tim, we're going to take a left turn here and do something that uh, we've, we've done once before on, on the podcast. Okay. And that is have in Aaron Hughes. Now... As some folks may or may not know, he is my oldest son. He is the general manager of Green Ford in Gainesville, Georgia. And whenever we do a segment with him, we call it Ford News and Rumors. Yes. Now, obviously, we talk about what's going on at the local dealership. Mm-hmm. You know, so no matter where you're listening, they've got sales going on at your local dealership and whatever. But most of our stuff winds up being national news because Ford just happens to be in the news all the time with, oh, yeah. with things they're doing and patents and stuff like that. 
So we're going we're gonna to start doing a segment every month that's, you know, for news and rumors. So here we go. Okay. Let's welcome in Aaron Hughes to Bud's Garage Overdrive. Hey, Aaron. All right. Uh, lots of Ford news. You, got, you guys are always got stuff in the, in the national news, and uh, uh, you got great stuff going on at the dealership, obviously. So you should see from. the amount of stuff in my email box every day from Ford. It's constant. There's always stuff going on. Well, send it to me. Forward it on to me. <laughs> You'll regret we it. Need to I promise. <laughs> You'll regret it. Hey, spring is prong. Is it time for a new Mustang? What do you suggest? I know you've oh, got your favorite combination of Mustang, but... I do have uh, a couple of Mustangs. I like Mustangs anyway. They're just a fun car. Um, right now, uh, one of my favorites we have on the lot is a uh, um, manual, but it's the, uh, the four-cylinder turbo. So it's got the EcoBoost, but it's still manual, so it's a lot of fun to drive yeah. without all the ponies, you know. And, yeah, but it's 300 horsepower. I know. It's still more horsepower than the, the, the old GT350s yeah, used to yeah, be yeah, in the day. Yeah, absolutely. You know? right. um, so it's, it's a blast to drive. That's one of my favorites. We have one of those in stock right now. I really enjoy that. Could That's we borrow cool. it and take it to the track? Well, we'll have to see. Well, well I mean, Randy Popes, Randy Popes came in and said that is one of the most fun vehicles to drive, like yeah. at Road Atlanta, because you get flat footed. Yeah, all and, the way around. And it's got all all the uh, it's got all the power, and it's you know with the six speed transmission, it's a blast to drive. And uh, and you can I know Randy had ta- I heard him talking about you can really drive that car. Whereas a lot of these cars... Yeah, they're have, getting away from you. Yeah, yeah, they get away from you, especially mm-hmm. on street tires. You just can't handle them. In that car, you can really drive. You know, while, while we're on the subject of the, uh, of the Mustang, that's some big national news you were talking about with the, uh, the new GT3 and GT4 platform uh, yeah. that, that has come out for racing. So you guys are going to get to see uh, a whole bunch of uh, road racing next year, GT4 platform, and Ford will be at Le Mans in 24 with the GT3 car. Wow. So that's super exciting, and it's my understanding that people are lined up. That they announced the amount of chassis they were going to build, and there's like three times the demand for them. So it's pretty great. And, and here in the States, you'll have like IMSA will be running them. So yep. you'll see them. They're going to debut it at the 24 Hours of Daytona next year, and then you'll see them run the whole year um, in the GT3 category. They're also going to be running SRO here in the States, um, World GT Challenge. And then, of course, overseas, it'll be at, uh, at Le Mans as well as uh, – you know, they'll be running the Michelin Pilot Series here, which is a support race to IMSA. So I'm super excited to see these well, new this Mustangs. Well, this is cool because you can get oh, you can have a team and, and, and basically order the car. If, uh, if you guys have not seen this thing, Jim Farley was at Sebring after the 24 hours of uh, Daytona. Jim Farley, the uh, CEO of Ford, and he, on his phone, videoed the thing coming by. And you can see it all over YouTube. Or, or if you just Google, you know, Ford Mustang GT3. And it sounds unbelievable because it's a V8. I mean, it's a normally aspirated V8, and it's a 5.4. And it just oh, cool. sounds, yeah. it, oh, it's just wow. rumbles and sounds fantastic. And they got, a, you know, a big GT4 wing on, or GT3, GT4 wing on it. And it looks, it looks and sounds fantastic. The new Mustang. May I suggest really they build cool. a street version? I know. For the heck of it. You got to see it and listen to it. I mean, the sound of it's just awesome. Well, apparently, uh, you have a, a plethora of people that, just are lined up to spend a hundred thousand plus on a truck and uh <laughs> we do the, the, Ra- the raptor r the f-150 raptor r yes the raptor speaking r, of rumbles cow, that truck is incredible we had the first one come in a couple months ago for a gentleman that ordered it 
And, uh, you know, that thing's got your 10-speed your transmission like the normal F-150s and stuff. But now you're dealing with a 700-horsepower yeah, They took the engine out of the truck. GT500. Yeah, yeah they, took, they took the engine out of the GT500, and you start it up, and you hear the turbo whining. And on the rat, you know, with the big, uh, the wide stance the Raptor has, it's incredible. Well, it's supercharged. It great. Yeah, it is absolutely supercharged. Yeah. yeah, you, see, yeah. you hear the supercharger wow. whining, and it is, uh, it is great. It's a really cool truck. And if you go to the uh, website, you can see it being tested out. It just looks like, what's that country song? Having too much fun. You be, <laughs> have too much fun with a Raptor R. Yeah, it's a neat truck. So. It's really neat. So how many have you gotten in? You gotten in one so far? We've had two come in. Um, okay. Obviously, they're both ordered for people. We had people literally lined up for them. Um, you know, our allocation, we had about four times as many people that wanted them as we were able to get. And I think that's probably pretty consistent um, with all the... Uh, any any dealership yeah there, there's a there's a big demand for them and i know you think wow it's a really expensive truck but it is now and we have a lot of guys that had the you know the the, the previous raptor with the v8 um and, and they really liked it and then they went to the v6 platform and even though it had more power and stuff it didn't have the sound and a lot of those guys really want you know horsepower guys want to hear the horsepower well the new one you can hear it and those, yeah. those same guys are back buying that truck. The, the V6, it's a nice you know, truck. when you're a knuckle-dragger like Tim and I, you know, That's right. the V6 is, it, it just, you know. Yeah, it just yeah. doesn't do it. No. no. <laughs> there's no right, sense to it, it, people. We know that. There's no. There's absolutely no sense yeah. to it. If, if it had 1,500 horsepower and it was a twin-turbo V6, we'd still want the V8. Right. You'd, you'd yeah, still exactly. want the V8. Yeah. And, and you'd probably want it normally aspirated or supercharged instead of turbocharged. Yeah. Oh, sure. Why not? <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> right. Okay, <laughs> I, I, there's some silliness that uh, Ford goes through a lot of patents in a week. and, uh, and they, I, You know, I learn more about Ford patents from this show. Those are emails I don't get, and I'm always entertained by them. Artificial so, intelligence. <laughs> they're going to let an artificially intelligence-powered technology, well, not the technology that's artificial intelligence, it's going to let the pickup truck pull up to a trailer by itself. Okay. Now, I remember a long time ago, you, you took me for a ride in a truck that parked itself. Yeah. Now, that was more sensors than that. This mm -hmm. is, is kind of yeah, Star trek I, I don't know. Um, I have seen people tow trailers, and my thing is, at some point, you have to also pull the trailer. Like, right. You, you know, the first time I ever saw a backup camera that was you know, where I could back up to a hitch on a truck, I thought it was the greatest thing ever because you didn't have to have somebody backing you up or you didn't have to get out of the truck three yep, times to yep. line it up just great. I was like, this is wonderful. But if I'm not able to look in a mirror or a backup camera and get to the trailer, I maybe don't need to be pulling a trailer. Well, is my thought. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. You know, the you see a lot of banged up license plates Ooh. on, on well, trucks. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Every sure one did. of my license plates has a dent in the middle of it. Uh, that's because you didn't <laughs> you have got a backup close. camera. That's you needed right. some artificial intelligence. That's, that's what, what you need. <laughs> <laughs> well, when yeah. the real intelligence doesn't work, right? Yeah, well, there you they, go. Uh, they, uh, they come up with some stuff, but this actually uses radar and a camera, and uh, 
you know, practices once or twice, and then it puts it in the truck, and all you do is let go of everything, and the truck backs up. And well, how do we? But do I still have to get out and actually wind down the that the, you the have little to handle? Do. Yeah, and, that you have and to put do. the pin in and all that. That stuff. you have to do. All right. But they may have an answer for that too, because they've they come out with flying drones <laughs> that can jump start your car. Okay. Oh now, yeah. I saw this one. <laughs> so, this one made me laugh. The, the flying drone one. Uh, yeah. Well, why not have yeah. a drone? You know, just land next to where you just put your trailer in your truck and you know a little well, robot you know i can't tell you how many cars that it's hard to find the battery on the car i kind of want to see the drone that's finding the I, battery yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the part i want to see well it says the car will be programmed to tell the drone mm-hmm. or uh, a individual will be guiding the drone so the car is going to be talking to the drone yeah and then uh, what does the driver do at this point well, I think they just have coffee because <laughs> they got to dial up somebody on the phone to, right. you know, to tell it how to do mm-hmm. all this stuff. Wow. All right. And I guess that'll be real well, intelligence. What could possibly go wrong? Well, my wife would still be out there telling the drone is doing it wrong. That's right. <laughs> Mr. Trivia Man. Mr. DJ Trivia. Sir. How's the, how's the trivia gig going, by the way? It's going great. Good, great. National, right? National. Uh, check us out, djtrivia.com. And if you're local, you can catch me four places each week around the North Georgia area. Love to see you. Come out and play. Okay. Free to do so. I have a trivial question for you. Go at it. Tony Shalhoub. Yes. Do you know who Tony Shalhoub is? He played Monk, and he played um, on Wings as well. He's done yeah, a I lot of character Wings, work yeah. and yeah. had a show that lasted about seven and a half weeks called Mad Men of the People. On okay. Must See TV NBC, which refuted that slogan pretty well all by itself. <laughs> well, he has won five Emmys, a Tony and a Golden Globe Award. Very talented but, actor. He, yeah. But he's, he's one of those guys you see in everything, but you don't, you don't think of who he is. He's not like a superstar or something. Well, I don't know. I think Monk really put him on the map for most people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would think so. Well, uh, as you mentioned, he was a taxi driver in the TV series Wings. He has been chosen to play the role... Of guess who in a six-part series called The Fall of the God of Cars. Who would you think, Tim, is the God of Cars? We have talked about several times. And here's a hint. Tony Shalhoub is of Lebanese descent. Oh, are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. Oh, my God. Uh, Carlos Gone. Carlos Ghosn. How could you forget, Tim? You've researched I didn't Carlos. forget. I was just having a moment. Oh. <laughs> hey, I had to break up a goat fight last night. Come on. <laughs> is, that like, is that like a cat fight? It's kind of. <laughs> Only with horns. and oh. Were they butting heads? Cloven hooves. Yes, yeah, they so were butting heads. Right. Okay. But anyway, this, he is actually going to play He's this part. Play. And remember, we've been saying it's going to be a movie. It's, it's going to be, be a movie. Well, it's going to be a movie. It's a huge story. Wow. Dedicated Hot Rodders cover a wide spectrum, but generally, it's folks like us that keep the movement going. It's also folks like Kevin and Randy Red and their dad, Daryl, founders of Concept One Pulley Systems. They keep hot rodding going with a selection of custom-built pulley systems and accessories for your Ford or Chevy engine and chassis combination. Custom design and built in their coming Georgia location. I use their systems on every car that I assemble. And let me tell you, the fit, the finish, it's perfect. There's no guesswork. 
They've already pre-fit the stuff. If I want a custom compressor, if I want a custom power steering system or a custom alternator, it's all available by just calling them, explaining what you've got going, and, you know, talk to the people that are actually making the parts. They eliminate scrounging around the junkyards, trying to cob together things, making stuff work, putting it together and finding out it doesn't work, and all the things that we've all all run into when we're building cars or putting custom projects together. Check out what they've got or give them a call. Concept1PulleySystems.com Where our guest today on Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast, is Jeremy Porter. Jeremy Porter is a very interesting study. I met him way back in 2008. Um, great guy. He is the owner and CEO of Atlanta Motorsports Park in uh, Dawsonville, Georgia. Jeremy, welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on the show, and Bud, we've aged well together. Ah, okay. I'll agree with that. <laughs> we still got the perfect face for radio and podcast, that's for sure. How long? That I've got the per- perfect body as well. So. How long have you been the... How did this all How did this all start? How long have you been involved in, in you know, being the... the founder and the CEO of, uh, of Atlanta Motorsports Park. If I'm not mistaken, you just, you just uh, had your 10th anniversary. That's correct, you know, and it's funny that, uh, you know, how did it start? I guess bad mushrooms on pizza. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, really, really, a lot of people don't know this. This started back in 2000. I was uh, racing, road racing go-karts at Road Atlanta and all mm-hmm. the other, you know, big boy tracks uh, in the southeast. And I had gone to the CEO of um, Road Atlanta, Mike Swain, a dear friend and a great guy. Right. And said, hey, why don't we build a second track at Road Atlanta? And... Um, he said, that sounds like a great idea. And I said, it'll be a club track, but we can run go-karts on it and cars, and it'll be a country club. And this was back in 2000. Mm -hmm. He said, wow, I like the idea. So he paid me as a consultant to write the business plan. And then we hired a track designer, and we designed the track and everything to the left of um, turn 12. And we... um, you know, went forward with it, and it was approved by Mike Swain, the CEO of Road Atlanta. And then it was Scott Atherton, who's still the chairman of some of the companies that were acquired sure. by NASCAR. Uh, it was approved by him and the late Don Panos, which was a great guy, and I became friends with him later after this. Uh, he and Scott Atherton were on a jet to, I think, France. And Scott pitched it to Don, and um, Don said, you know, I don't know. Scott, you make the choice. And so Scott came back to Mike Swain and said, listen, I don't know enough enough about this and don't feel comfortable enough. Let's table it. And then 2001 happened. Yeah. So I picked up the business plan back in 2007, couldn't get out of my head or heart, and dusted it off and pitched it to a bunch of people and launched it, put a website up with my name and reputation and 2008 and the world fell apart again. So my timing is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now there was a time I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not knocking, <laughs> knocking anybody for the situations they get themselves into. There was a time as I was reading an article and doing some research for this, that, uh, 
when when did you get to Atlanta? How did you get to Atlanta? And how did you get from being homeless to CEO? You know, that, uh, so, you know, I was uh, a wild child in, in my teen years. No, and, uh, no. Right, right, <laughs> rightfully so, my dad kicked me out at 15 and ended back up with him and then back kicked out again and ended up in a homeless shelter. So um, I guess I just wanted to prove everybody wrong. Um, I never, you know, officially finished high school um, and never went to college, but I definitely would like to do that in the future, you know, as an old man. Sure. But just just was on a consummate chip on my shoulder to prove myself that uh, I wasn't a failure and wanted to be successful and ate an elephant at a bite at a time. So just matured in the corporate world and then thought I had an idea to be able to build this motorsports park. And, and as I said, I pitched it to all my rich friends and I was going to be a component of the project, not the lead of the project was the in, initial intent. And in 2008, when the world blew apart, all the investors and bank and everybody just, it just evaporated. And so I stepped in and said, you know what, let me try it. Let me, let me roll with this thing. And I had a guy named Bo Fields. Uh, I kept saying, I need $12 million. I need $12 million. And he said, well, what do you need today? And we broke it down to a daily number, a monthly number, a quarterly number, a yearly number. And at that point, my perspective shifted and my understanding of how to be able to raise capital and push the project forward shifted. So I really looked at it from a different standpoint. Sure. Now, you're, you're racing. You, you know, you, you say all your rich friends. Where did the rich friends come in? Did that come from the racing or, um, you know, they weren't hanging out in the homeless shelter? No, they weren't. You know, this was long past the homeless shelter days. But we were all, you know, in the pits talking about how fast we were, are, or going to be sure. on the track. And, you know, pit racing. And, you know, these were people that I met through racing and the racing community. And then, you know, I pitched it to, but this isn't even an exaggeration. I would be willing to bet I pitched this concept to over 200 people, Mm -hmm. maybe more. I mean, I just, you know, I came from an environment, uh, when I originally got into corporate America, I did federal collections, which was, you know, 80 to 100 phone calls a day. So you learned. And then I got into headhunting, which is, again, tons of calls a day. So I had no fear of calling anybody and everybody and, you know, acting dumb as I was uh, and asking the questions and learning from those uh, presentations over and over again to be able to get to the right people and the right capital and the right stack and pull it together. And I'm more surprised than anybody I'm sitting here today. Well, you were you were paying your tuition with a. blood, sweat, and tears at the point that point in time. That's right. They say you pay for your education no matter how you get it. So, Jeremy, as a kid, who were your heroes or mentors? Really, uh, alcohol and drugs. (laughs) (laughs) You're not a charter member of the club, my friend. (laughs) Uh, I mean, honestly, I didn't, I didn't really have anybody that I per se looked up to. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, and I did not have any mentors, uh, you know, and then I got into a group called C12, which is Christian CEOs, where we 12 CEOs of Christian companies got together and we would all 
talk about the problems and the challenges we had within the company. And um, so that was somewhat of a mentor-mentee group, and that really helped me a lot. And then recently, you know, I've had some people around me that have been really good, and I tap into their their mind and their brain. And uh, one of the guys is, is Mike Cummins. He uh, was a member here, still is. And he and I were looking at buying Carolina Motorsports Park, and he ended up purchasing it on his own. And uh, he's a guy that I bounce a lot of stuff off of as well. I believe he was a he was a C level executive at GE Capital. So smart guy, good guy, you know, ethical guy, humble guy. So when you got into this Christian group as a CEO, what were you the CEO of? At that time, I was the CEO of uh, the Motorsports Park. Okay, so it was a yeah. self-proclaimed CEO, basically. Yeah, I mean, it. well, you had to be a CEO with a certain revenue and employee count to okay. be able to get into the group. Mm-hmm. And so those criterion were met, and uh, I uh, joined the group and, you know, was the heathen of the group. <laughs> so, 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 you've so you, you, you mentioned that you had to have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of employees, all that type. Where did the first where did the first dollar come from? The first money came from Martin Kalk. Uh, he gave me one hundred thousand dollars to start the business. And that was 13 years ago. And um you would have thought it was $2 million because, you know, if I had to spend a penny, I, you know, it had to be pulled out of my dead hands to be able to spend it. And, you know, what was funny is I would meet with members and people and potential investors for lunch. And I, I thought, God, I'm going to run out of money fast. So then I switched that uh, strategy to let's meet for coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> And just anything I could do to will and do and barter and and be smart. And one of our mantras is creativity over capital. And, you know, that first hundred grand was stretched very far. And then the rest of the money came through selling memberships. I sold three and a half million dollars in real money memberships, Money in the bank, not IOUs, not right, yeah. thousand dollar deposits that was put into an escrow account, and then I raised uh, capital with, um, you know, with investors, equity people, as I needed it, and then the second component, really, which was unusual, and my investors and the, you know, everybody around me told me I was crazy. Is I went to the contractors and the subcontractors. We had thirty two bids on grading alone and you know a year before if you had two bids three bids you were yucky you were lucky right yeah. or yucky yeah, and right. you know uh we had uh bids as far as people from michigan so i said to the investors in the group i said what if i went to these people and said listen guys i um i uh want you to finance your work And most of them laughed at me and said, we don't finance our own work, you're crazy. And what my proposal to them, I said, listen guys, together we may make it through this 2008, 9, 10, you know, recession or depression, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But apart, neither one of us are gonna make it. So let's try to row the boat together and and make it through this. And so some of the people drank the Kool-Aid and bought in and I received terms from like Sunbelt Asphalt for 30 days, which is nothing. 
the guard the guardrail we had 14 months after we opened um, the retaining walls was three years the grading was three years with hundred thousand dollar payments for the first six months a hundred thousand a month sure and storm water was 90 days and our average rate of burn was about 273,000 and all I did was sell memberships and uh, equity as needed and we never not ever were a day late on a payment it was mind-blowing because back then you know everybody was going bankrupt equipment was being repoed it was it was terrifying you know we were the only medium to large project in the state of georgia and we were one of two tracks that i know of and i don't know that to be exactly valid but that's from what i hear that in the world under construction so it was a time of of head scratching for development and construction okay your first first time i met you I was uh, running the motorsports program at Lanier Tech, and you you needed uh, you needed some bodies to help with stuff. And I remember, you know, balancing. I, I say walking the plank up into the uh, the trailer that was the office and your card table, and we had a couple folding chairs, and we sat there and kicked around ideas. And you know, I'm thinking to myself, God, you know, the economy is in the toilet right now, and this guy is talking, you know, this and that and everything else. What what did you? How did you address somebody? as a as an investor to become a member with uh, what they came up to see which was uh, a bunch of dirt and a, a trailer on a hill at that point god i don't know i think that <laughs> i you know well you had enthusiasm just, i'll say that for you well yeah i i was i was definitely uh enthusiastic i was excited i i was direct i think i came across authentic and um and i just for some reason garnered the trust of these people i you know and it surprises me because i had no construction background no development background no racetrack operations background no equity or capital stack experience and so i think people maybe just wanted something to believe in during that period of time well you certainly uh you you picked a an interesting time to do it. So after, after that first member, did you, after you got that first member, how, how did you, uh, did you reference the second person you talked to, the, the first person you talked to, or how did you keep building membership upon membership upon membership? You know, we just did, I just did old fashioned guerrilla marketing and grind. Right. I mean, I just pounded the phone, made the phone calls, um, sold and casted the vision. I, it was really about casting the vision. And, and the big thing is, guys, is I did so much research. I literally have six inches of binders of information, three different binders, and then one business summary of, you know, anything you could think of related to motorsports parks. So I called all the other racetracks and the ones that were country clubs and the ones that were successful and the ones that weren't and said, blank sheet of paper, what would you change, you know, organizational structure, employee structure, the track layout, the design, all these different things. And so I had all the answers to their questions at a drop of a hat. And I had that six inches of binders sitting on the desk, which was impressive in its own right. And I just said, ask me a question about anything or any other track, because I knew statistically, you know, 
the, the length and the width and the, the member base and their rent rates and how many garages they had and what those garages were. So I just really did a lot of homework. And I think because of that, um, they trusted that I was a good jockey to bet on. So where are we now as far as, you know, after your first membership, when do you build your first garage or first section of garages? So we built, I think it was 45 garages and that we opened in 2012, but the garages were completed in 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that it was, uh, oh my Lord, I just drew a blank on the business name. Um, It was a metal building manufacturer and storage, uh, you know, the metal container storage company. Mm -hmm. And I called him up and said, hey, I want to buy your building and I know you're not selling any. And and it was to the CEO. And he said, okay, that sounds great to me. And I said, you're going to finance it. And he said, we don't finance buildings. And I said, you don't sell buildings you don't finance, and I don't buy buildings I can't get financing on. So together, again, we can possibly make it through this in a part we can't. So he financed the building. So that building, uh, you know, we built in 2011. We opened in 2012. The second 48-unit building, or I think it's the the opposite. I think it was 48 and 45, um, was built in 2012. 12, the end of 2012. Now we have 205 rental garages, not garages for sale, we're, because we're doing the condos for sale now. Right. But we have 205 rental garages. And these people that are in the rental garages pay a yearly fee for the garage and the membership, is that correct? Yeah, so they pay a monthly fee just like a storage place sure. uh, that's not exceptionally expensive comparative to it being, you know, trackside or ocean front for lack of a better descriptor. Right. Uh, and they sign a three year lease and then they buy a membership and a membership and is an initiation fee. That's a one-time lump sum. And then they pay monthly fees or daily fees. Some of the memberships have no monthly and daily fees if they just pay one large lump sum. So, uh, we don't have yearly memberships. We're not that type of club. We're, by sponsorship and invitation only now and we're blown away to be at 702 members and as i understand that puts us the largest member base of any club in the world what are some of the uh, membership um, amenities or or privileges so you know we have a conference center with a fitness center with multiple meeting rooms that are expandable and contractable audio video um, we have a kid's playroom, a car elevator to be able to put cars on the second floor inside of the meeting rooms or the main room, a bar that is upstairs. We have a resort-style pool with a water slide, a dry slide, a jacuzzi, a fire pit, outdoor kitchen with a green egg, putting green, you know, sand pit for the kids, all sorts of, you know, fun stuff outside for the kids. We have a sport court. Uh, we have dirt bike trails. We're now adding a dog trail, a dog walking trail. Oh, cool. And um, we're adding a deck that's coming off the existing deck on the clubhouse that'll go across cold pit, hot pit, and the edge of the deck will be right behind the debris fence. So if you watch, walk to the edge of the deck and drop a quarter off the deck, it will land on the racetrack. Um, that'll be a covered deck with a spiral slide that comes off of it. And we're about to spend a tremendous amount of money 
upscaling uh, the entire, uh, you know, member lounge to be ultra like New York club, high end. uh, And we're adding a restaurant with a brewery and distillery. And we have a go-kart clubhouse as well. And then, um, you know, we're building condos that are for sale and uh, micro houses, 27 micro houses as well. Oh, that's cool. Now, how did the how did the go karting come into the 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 plans? Because you have a well, a huge track which is fantastic, uh, designed by a world famous uh, designer. I'll let you mention him. Um, but did the go kart track come first, or the big track? So they came really parallel to one another. The go kart track opened a couple months after the main track. The bolt tracks were designed by Herman Tilka, the famed Formula One track designer. We were one of two tracks designed by him in the United States for many years. Now there's some others like Enclave, a guy named Brad that's just a superb guy and very smart business guy that's building a track down in Tampa. Uh, and then. Um, uh, Flat Rock, which is another very impressive facility that's being built. And then, of course, everybody knows Coda uh, that's designed by those guys as well. And I think there's a couple others that are in the process of being built that have been designed by them. But those guys really know what they're doing. And, and you know, all of their track designers are, are much smaller operations. So the go-kart track was really the two legs of the stool, for lack of a better phrase, on the sustainability of the business model. Because when the economy expands, people that can't afford any of it go into karting. And when the economy contracts, people that can't afford the cars go into the cart. So it's really a financial stabilizer and something that allows the business um, to have a consistent dial tone revenue and a ladder to motorsports, which is really, you know, what we're about. One of our beehags, big, hairy, audacious goals yeah, right, yeah. about, you know, that ladder to motorsports. Tell us a little bit about the condos, Jeremy. Okay, so, you know, I say we're selling condos or trackside homes, and immediately people that are not motorsports people go, God, are they not going to hate the noise? And I <laughs> laugh and I say... Uh, when you're at the ocean, do you want to hear the ocean at your beachfront house? I said, these. this is basically trading, you know, oceanfront for asphalt. And it's a way for people to be able to stay at the track, uh, to enjoy their sport or hobby, and then to Airbnb or VRBO these when they're not using them. And it's very sexy in the sense that, hey, you know, how many of your friends do you know that are members of motorsports country clubs? Well, very few. And then how many of your friends are members of motorsports country clubs that also have a trackside home? Wait, what? And so it's the cool factor, the sexy factor, the trophy factor is unbelievable. And this business model with these condos is just blowing up. And even through a recession, there's a place called Twin Lakes, Minnesota that had 30 acres of condos not next to a racetrack, and there's only 6,000 registered nice cars in the entire state, sold 30 acres of these through 2008, and 10, when you couldn't even give a house away. So from a real estate investment, people that aren't even car people are buying them and buying a social membership and, you know, buying them as an investment or a place to be able to hang or run a remote business location or alternate business location and 
place to entertain clients and people. And, you know, and, and the, the condo itself comes as a white box shell and anything you want to do inside of it within permitting allowance is, is uh, you can do in it. So some people are adding a second floor with a kitchenette and bedrooms and bathrooms. Some people are adding a third floor because some of them you can have three floors in. And on the second floor, they have cars that raise with the lift up into the second floor. So in your living area, you have a, you know, a car that's raised into your living area with a glass surround or cables around. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. And I, you know, in true form, I'm putting a spiral slide. I've got a three floor condo, a spiral slide to go from the third floor down to the bottom floor inside of the actual unit. Oh, how cool. <laughs> what, what is a spiral slide? So think of a, a slide that uh, you see on a playground. Sure, Because yeah. I'm actually a 51-year-old child. Yeah. Just a spiral slide that you you get on, an adult or a child, you can slide down to the bottom floor. Okay. I thought it was a special floors. kind of motorized stairway or something like that. <laughs> now, now this, is, this is another. It's motorized by gravity in your ass. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, this is another story that was interesting. You talk about starting this thing, you know, during a recession. So a couple of years ago, here we are in the midst of COVID and we can't go anywhere. We're not at the track and, and, and you launched this idea to sell condos. Now, how did you how do you pitch that? Um, you know, what's funny is I was terrified to launch this during COVID. I thought nobody's going to buy. It's going to be a complete failure. I told my wife I'm about to hit send on this email and um, I don't think I'm going to sell anything. And I can't remember what the number was. I think I sold $3 million in condos in a few days um, and, and $8 million in a few months. And then, you know, we've sold near $20 million in condos so far and we haven't really marketed at all. We put some stuff on basic social, but we've not marketed it all because you know, we're a club that we want to be selected with the people that come in here because we just want good humans in the gates. And so launching them dur during COVID uh, was super risky. And, and I think we could have had some better outcome if that wasn't the case. But we, we had, you know, a tremendous amount of fortunate people interested in buying the condos and moving forward. The bad part of it was is supply chain issues, which is terrific. Uh, and, you know, it extended the build time of some of these things that, that should have been, you know, you know, much less in build time. Yeah, well, well you had no had no control over what was going on with, uh, you know, the uh, the product, what was going on in the building industry at that point in time. So w we understand what the condo is. What's a micro house? Is that one of these like small houses they have on TV programs? Yeah, so it's basically a 20-foot by 20-foot two-story house that's going to be around the carousel. It's what we, what Tilka, the track designer, they mimicked or paid homage to the carousel at the Nürburgring. So on the exterior behind the debris fence, we'll put these tiny homes. So the top floor will have windows that look at the main racetrack, the car motorcycle racetrack, and also the other side of that top floor will have a window that looks down at the go-kart track. And the bottom floor will be, uh, you know, something that will look at the um, go-kart track alone. 
And so it's just a, a, a new concept and something that I think would be interesting and fun and unique. Oh, yeah. Now, compared to, you know, you've got the condos covered, you've got the micro-housing, and uh, what about expanding to, or maybe you already have, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'm not giving you any ideas, uh, campgrounds and stuff like that for folks that are carting and maybe come for the weekend and uh, have a motorhome or something like that they want to park. You Are you going to go that direction at some point? Well, you know, we just added a giant parking lot at the go-kart track uh, a couple weeks ago, and we've added a lot of power throughout the complex for people to be able to camp on the main track. And they already are camping, but the idea would be for them to be able to rent out the condos and the tiny homes as a place to be able to stay. Um, Because currently camping right now is happening. It's just, you know, people nowadays are becoming, you know, at racetracks, if they can stay in a place that's affordable, trackside versus sleep in a tent, Sure. um, they're going to choose the tent over the you know, or they're going to choose the condos or the, the home site over uh, the tent or temporary. Yeah, I would think so, because you've got all the amenities of, you know, just simple things like a shower and, you know, uh, yeah. you're out racing, you're working on stuff and, and all of that. What What is, uh, was there any point in time when you're doing all of this, right right from the beginning till now, that you, you look in the mirror and thought, what the, what, the, what in the world am I doing here? What is the risk? Or was it just, you know, just the goal? You know, it, it, what I found after quite a few years of operating and running a track is most of these things go bankrupt in the first 10 years, sometimes twice. Right. Um, and so it's not an b- easy business to operate or run. And, and if you're doing it to make big money and become wealthy, that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, I just have, I've seen most of the balance sheets and P&Ls for most of these tracks, and they don't make uh, bad money, but they don't make money that would be equivalent to the amount of capital invested if you were to put it into a commercial investment of, like, real estate or storage sure. or a strip shopping center or any of those things. So, you know, it it, it is a risky business. It's a funny – it's a it's a fun business. It's a sexy business. It's a unique business. But with the condos, it, it's something that's very impressive and good. Without the condos, it's not so much. So it, it's been, it's really been a learning process. It's, it's, it's matured me. It's aged me. And, um, but it's been a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, we, we have celebrities, we have film, we have TV, we have athletes, we have, all the kind of who's who of the who's who. It's just a big party of motorsports. And if there's anything we can race, we will race it. I mean, one of the ideas that we're going to have for one of our Saturday night socials, and on the Saturday night social, we have live music and we have drag racing and autocross and time trials and, and you know, beer and wine and alcohol, you know, after they drive and food and the pool that they hang out at. One of the concepts that we're looking at in the next one is buying 10 of those little electric Jeeps that you see five to seven-year-olds run. We're buying, about 10 or, <laughs> buying about 10 or 15 of those and saying, hey, you, you will set up a bidding price for these. The, the beginning price is the price of the you know, Jeep. So let's say it's $300. And we're, we're going to sell all... 15 of them and the adults can race them at the end of the race 
um, we're going to give them to a, a local charity. So, you know, if there's anything you can race, we're going to race it. I mean, we've raced big wheels. We've done trebuchets with pumpkin chunking uh, to a cardboard castle. I mean, the, we're looking at doing an evil Knievel, you know, the rip motorcycle <laughs> race. Uh, you know, it's if, if, if we can lower our IQ and, you know, add a level of uh, embarrassment, it makes it even better. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, speaking of electric, how about your latest news? You know, uh, we, so uh, here's a funny story. About seven years ago, a friend of mine that worked at Tesla said, hey, do you know Tesla uh, will put in EV chargers and they'll give you the EV chargers? And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, the electrical infrastructure will be too expensive and, you know, we're, we're a startup business. We don't want to spend the money on something like that because really it's not something that was was relevant during that time eight years ago. I mean, that was really, really the beginning. And so um, I uh, was talking to the Tesla guy, and he said, no, we'll pay for the electrical infrastructure too. And I was like, what? Okay. So he put me on the phone with the person that, that uh, approves the chargers and the installs. And the guy uh, said, how many do you need? And I, I'm the jokester that I like to be or am or think I am, but I think I'm funny. Nobody else does. <laughs> um, he said, how many do you want? And I was completely joking. And, he go, and I said, 12. And he goes, okay, where do you want to ship those? I was thinking, okay, and 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 so we put in twelve chargers. I think it was seven or eight years ago, and these were level ones, which was unheard of at a racetrack to have a EV charger, let alone twelve. And so, after you know, in the last three or four years, I'm watching all these people plugging into these chargers, and I'm going, shit, this is costing me a lot of money. So I decided to monetize it and pull the Tesla chargers out, and we worked with Indigo Energy, fantastic people. Um, Colson over there and John have been great to work with and said, hey, let's put in some charger, chargers that we um, you know, can charge for and monetize, and we can stop giving away free electricity. It's like giving away free gas at a racetrack. Sure. And and so they said okay we're going to install these blink chargers well then i said level two so we replaced all the teslas except for two because i own a tesla uh and and a couple other employees own some teslas so we we allow those to be chargers for free for the employees but um we replaced them with eight level two blinks and then we talked to autel which is um you know a charger manufacturer said, hey, we would like to partner with you and Indigo and, and do level three supercharger DC 480 KW. These are not, you know, there's there's superchargers. These are DC superchargers. So right. these are like the bleeding edge. Again, I'm going to use that twice in this call. Um, and so uh, they we said, hey, let's work together. Let's talk about it. We'll be the first racetrack that we know of in the world with level three superchargers. And um, we've tested that quite a few times. We've never been, you know, countered to that not being an accurate statement. So we put in 10 level three uh, DC superchargers for up, up to 480 KW. 
And we thought, okay, this is going to be something that we're going to launch. It's going to take a long time to get its footing. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, it's too new. It's, it's too, uh, new idea of a or new, new concept. And good gosh, I mean, we've been hammered with global press and national press on these chargers. I mean, we were all over the, the, you know, the seven eighties and the, the newspapers and, and news all over. And, and so it's really taken on a life of its own. So we're going to do an East symposium symposium June 24th. We're going to bring in, you know, cake motorcycles is now a part of it. And Autel is a part of it. And Ben over at unplugged performance, which is Tesla performance, such uh, or parts and such for the Tesla, which is a fantastic sweetheart story in its own. And that's somebody you guys should get on your pod. Um, it, you know, is we all just started talking about this thing and it's completely blown up to be something that's going to be really special. We're going to run a monthly EV race that you, if you have an EV, you can come and race, uh, which is counter to a lot of tracks. A lot of tracks are terrified of these EVs. Um, and so we're, we're grabbing the bull by the horns and running. So is it any particular car or a certain particular type of car that can, that has to, that these chargers will meet up with, or will they work with anything, any electric vehicle? So they've got a specific plug on the end of them. So they will work with any EV car. Okay. And we currently have three EV incubator companies here. We have Scalar Performance, which is retrofitting a street car with all uh, racing components. And, um, you know, it'll be complete EV race car that's going to be probably in the 120 to 150,000 range. Uh, we're going to be running the Teslas, you know, uh, we've Tesla unplugged has got a performance model three that is turning faster lap times than a GT three RS, uh, car and the money to operate it. You know, the consumables is about a 10th. Yeah. They just sure replaced right. tires. I mean, it's staggering. Um, and you know, we've got amp RE, which is a converting company that converts ice cars to, uh, EV, and then we have Primergy, which is a battery intelligence technology on the discharge and recharge uh, that operate out of here as well. So we just want to be a, a company that's known for innovation and constantly being on the edge of stuff because I'm ADD as hell and I like shiny objects. Yeah, there you go. Well, the, you know, we've had uh, Bob Varsha on the program with us, and he, uh, you know, he of course does the uh, Formula E events. Uh, yeah. You know, this track was designed by a Formula One person. Uh, what's the possibilities? Formula E coming to AMP anytime soon? You know, it's interesting. So I talked to the Formula E guys moons ago. Mm -hmm. It was probably five years ago when it was in its infancy stage. And I just said, I think we're the perfect track for you guys. And they said, well, the problem is, is the, the state subsidizes this race to be able to bring into these cities it's such a you know unbelievable uh subsidy that it, you're not going to be able to do it you won't be able to afford to bring the show to uh, uh to your track they didn't know so what they i kind of buried to. that <laughs> yeah i well and i just i just said to him i said listen okay that's that's fair and i kind of hung that uh you know hung that back 
up on the rack and, and haven't given it an additional thought. Now we've got a, I can't tell you any details other than we will be one of five locations in the world for this e-racing technology mm-hmm. um, that uh, would be here next year. And this would be, you know, a worldwide event. It'd be here, it'd be China, it'd be Japan, it would be uh, in England somewhere. And we would be the U.S. location for this to be able to run something related to this. So we're really, you know, just got a tiger by the tail and, and I'm trying to figure it out and put all the pieces together because it's so much coming at us so quickly with these level 10 chargers. It's just way bigger and, and broader than I would have anticipated or expected. So the, how many, um, how many variations and, and we're going a whole different direction. How many variations of go-karts have you had at the track so far, as far as, um, the people that provide the carts, how many, how many different makes have you had at the track? Are you speaking of the racing go-karts? The, no, the, or the, consumer, the consumer go-karts. Yeah. The rental ones. So we've had, uh, we've had a few different brands. We've had the Sodi brand that's built out of France. Sure. Uh, and we've had CRG that is built in Italy. Uh, we got those about 18 months ago and we're looking at getting another, um, another fleet here in the next six to eight weeks to replace the fleet. So we're currently, uh, if not the top, we're in the top two of revenue in those rental go-karts for an outdoor go-kart track, not an indoor go-kart track. Um, And, you know, so we we just are really hard on the go-karts because the go-kart track is very, very unusual. Most go-kart tracks are pancake pancake flat and you can see every corner and everywhere we're the most radical elevation change of any go-kart track built and you know we have one section you drop a hundred or forgive me you drop 43 feet and about a hundred feet it's like falling off a cliff sure so the go-karts take a lot of abuse but what that does is it brings the consumer in because it's a really unique experience and these go-karts do 55 plus miles an hour and, you know, you're on an outdoor Herman Tilka Formula One design go-kart track that's just bananas, you know. So, hell of a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. First time I drove, you know, I've, I've driven the consumer carts many times. The first time I drove a racing cart, I, you know, that it was hooked up and, and, you know, I thought, this is way too much fun. But, it, you know, the, the, the reason I'm going there with the go-karts is when's the electric go when are the electric go-karts coming? I mean, they got to come. I mean, when, when you drop you off know, that 40-foot drop and you're trying to chug it back up the hill with the gas carts, you know, unless you make that turn just perfect, you lose a lot of momentum. You're not going to lose that with an electric cart. Well, you're still going to run out of talent a little bit. The oh, yeah. But <laughs> as soon as I sit down, I've run out of talent. <laughs> yeah, me too. But, you know, if you can carry the speed through the corner, you know, you're going to be faster in, in an e-cart or an ice cart. Um, and so we got a company that we're talking to for this June 24th e-symposium e- about bringing over a racing electric cart. Um, and then there's there's some go-karts that are electric that are being tested here. But the, the rental go-kart side of things, um, 
I don't think the tech is quite there yet. And it being an outdoor track, it's not ideal for the electric because Mm -hmm. the electrics are really designed for indoor use. So it's not there yet. And the thing that, that makes me scratch my head more than anything is, you know, you call them about the electric go-karts and, and we say, you know, we got 50 ICE go-karts, internal combustion engine for the people that aren't familiar with that uh-huh. acronym or acrostic. And um, you, uh, you know, we say we have 50 ICE carts and, and they we say, how many electric carts do you need? Do we need to buy? And they say a hundred because you have to have half charging and the other half. Well, sure. Yeah. You know, that's 500 grand for 50 carts, roughly, right. you know, 450 grand. So you're talking a million dollars in go-karts to do the same revenue that you had before and you're having to charge them. It mm-hmm. just doesn't financially make sense. And why they don't have the ability to buy two or three battery packs and swap, um, you know, uh, a battery pack on these carts is a head-scratcher to me. Well, you may be on to something there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we we do it with yeah, our power, we do it with our power tools, no problem. I know, I know. They yeah. make a lot of sense. China does yeah. it with their taxis. You know, they they actually go to a, a depot and swap out uh, batteries midday uh, that are sitting on chargers. Uh, so you, you yeah, know, you're you're heading the right direction for sure. What? Yeah. yeah. I've been around, you know, folks like Roger Penske and Jack Roush and, and you know, at that at, at the at on the NASCAR side of things and I often wonder, Chip Ganassi, people like that. You know, when you first started this this whole adventure, did you have a family at that point in time? And how do you balance it all out? You know, that's a that's a great question. Yes, I did. I had three kids, okay. all very, very young. Mm-hmm. Um and I worked my butt off during the hours of a normal day and then i shut down after that and i'll tell you something that's very surprising and i'm a bit proud of the opening day our grand opening um i had a uh field trip with my kids not one that you know i went to a lot of field trips with them because they were in a private school and sure. field trips mm-hmm. were a rite of passage yeah um, and opening grand opening day, I was not here. I was at a field trip. So it, it was just, you know, keeping that focus and making sure I wasn't working too hard to where I was completely destroying the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you have any hobbies? Yeah. Uh, I, I play the drums badly. My wife, uh, bought me lessons and I refused to take them cause I tried once and that was humiliating. Um, you know, I do a lot of stuff in the yard, uh, 69 Firebird, hang out with the kids at the skate park, uh, you know, cars, all sorts of different things in cars. And I used to race. I don't race as much because I'm around a racetrack every day. Well, I've, I've, I've actually had a racetrack owner tell me that, you know, the day the, he started running the track, he just hung up his helmet because he said, you, you, you can't, you know, you, you can't function. You're, you know, he, he couldn't function anyway. He said he had to hang up the helmet because he was, you know, too interested in getting out there sometimes and showing these guys how it was done. <laughs> and you being a champion, I, I'm sure the temptation is there uh, from time to time well, with the racing carts, yeah. Yeah, and the problem, guys, is, you know, when I would go to the go-kart track and try to drive with my kids, mm-hmm. I would ha- I would be surrounded by members, of course, 
you know, saying, hey, great job, or, you know, is there a way that we can put a 30-story parking deck above the track? I think you should do that tomorrow. Uh, or, you know, can you provide helicopter service? I mean, I'm exaggerating for effect, but it made it so when I would try to go enjoy the very sport that I built this for, mm-hmm. I would be more of the complaint department or praise department. It could have been either. Right. And then when I did win races, people weren't happy. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. so it, it, it just it just stripped out some of the the joy of it. What would you looking back over it now? What would you have done differently? Um, that's a good question. I you know, the first thing I would have done is create bigger parking lots. Um, you know, that would help a lot. I would rearrange the. Uh, layout of the facility to where a go-kart track was at the entrance so everybody had to drive by it to see it because that's where a lot of the money is we did have it at the entrance but during zoning and back and forth uh, they uh, you know we had to move the go-kart track to the back they thought it would be loud Mm -hmm. Um, and in reality it's not Um, so they moved the louder racetrack towards them and the quieter go-kart track away from them. Uh, it's kind of laughable, but I would have uh, increased the sound limits from 98 decibels at 50 feet to maybe 103, but I would not have done unlimited unless we had some you know, open weekends, which we're going through zoning to try to be able to get because mm-hmm. I just wanted to be a good neighbor because every track in the southeast has no sound limits or they actually do they just don't adhere to them correct uh they they tell you how to work around them and so that would have been another thing and um i think i would have you know we're we're in permitting to extend the track to make it faster some extension that'll that'll make it 2.36 mile i think Mm -hmm because you take out a section to add a section, but that'll be the faster section because our track is very much a thinking woman, thinking man's track. Yes. Very advanced, very difficult. And American tracks historically are big straightaways with the turn, another big straightaway with the turn. So we're very European and Americans uh, scratch their head with us. Plus we go anti-clockwise, which again is another head scratcher. So, you know, maybe some, some additional straightaways to to give those people that don't have as much skill on the track the ability to point at the speedometer and impress their friends, girlfriends, wife, whomever, husband. Huh, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about and, that, you know, uh, that that speed factor mm-hmm. thing. When I, you know, the, well, they love it. They, oh, you yeah, know, yeah. anybody... Anybody you say, you, how fast did you go on the racetrack is the first question. They, every right, one yeah. of them asked. Mm-hmm. And then how much horsepower does your car have? Yeah. It, it, is, it is the, it, now that I've said that to you, you'll be surprised if you say, yeah, I was on a track. Well, how fast did you go? You know, so this people really, uh, you know, 80% of the people that have joined our club have never been on a racetrack. So they just want to go fast and point at a speedometer. Goes, I did a buck fifty today. Yeah. Well, what mm. was your lap time? Thirty-three minutes. You know, I did hundred and fifty, and then I did thirty through the rest <laughs> of the uh, racetrack. But it, you know, it. The, part of our goal is to be a motorsports ladder. We just added e go karts for three to seven year olds. 
yeah. as a part of our ladder yeah. and or four to seven year olds. And then we've got a junior discovery that is for five to nine, 10 year olds. And we have those schools that we work these kids through and then we move them to the go-karts and then from the go-karts, we'll either move them into bandoleros or legends or Miatas. We can put them on the, go- on the main track as young as 14 years old if they have a third party sign out by a certified instructor. Sure. And, and then we can put them into Formula 3, Formula 4, USF 2000. Uh, and, you know, we have all those components here on site with Primal Racing for the racing school, with Amp Cart Works for the cart racing school. And, and then, you know, we have the ability to tune and maintain these cars and the radicals and things like that. And VRD, which is the most winningest uh, Formula 3, Formula 4 race team in America, is headquartered here. And they sweep podiums all the time in Formula 3 and Formula 4. And in and the youngest person to ever win in FIA Formula Four was a member of ours, and I think he won it at fourteen. Wow! And so, right now we have four of our members over in Europe competing in Formula Three and Formula Four, which is extremely rare. Yeah, extremely rare because Europeans come here to take our podiums away from us because they're used to advanced technical tracks. Well, sure. We're going over there because now we have an advanced technical track here. And if you can be fast here, you can be fast anywhere. So uh, it just gives people an opportunity to learn their craft and learn it well because, you know, everybody can hit the right foot as as hard as anybody else. It's, you know, the modulation of the brake and the gas and the steering through the corners to be able to get the best lap time. And all the time is in the corners. It's not in the straightaways. And we're a track of corners that are – radically different every corner off camber on camber compressive you know off camber after apex intentionally blind uncompressive blind coming onto the straight i mean it's the the big tracks bananas no it's it's absolutely amazing what is next for jeremy porter um you know i've looked at doing a indoor ski resort um and a and a you know surfing pool, not like you see it like a Lake Lanier Islands, but one that creates a wave, you know, six to seven foot tall wave that you can actually surf on. Mm-hmm. And those are some things that I've sniffed around at. Um, and uh, you know, I thought about going back to college to be a chemist. You know, I wanted to be a chemist in high school for some strange reason, and uh, the complexity of it is exciting to me. I like learning things that I don't know anything about, which is pretty much everything. Uh, a new challenge. I'm challenge motivated, not money motivated. So it's, uh, hell, I don't know, guys. Well, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, combine your chemist, uh, your chemist uh, passion with uh, what's going on with batteries, because every week, literally every week, Tim and I here are on the, uh, on the radio show. First of all, we talk about your track every week on the radio show. But secondly, we talk about the changes in batteries and, and where are we going with them? You know, what are we going to do with them when they're used up? And nobody has any very good answers. Yeah, yeah. It, mm. It's interesting. There's a new technology company that is, uh, it believes that the, the idea or the solution to this is to recycle the batteries that come and they're absorbing a lot of the batteries that are coming out of these EVs as well as, you know, your standard batteries and recycling them and reusing those components to be able to, 
continue that, you know, that cycle of that use of that mineral and, and the things that, that are put into those batteries. So, heck, I don't know. It's interesting. Hmm. Well, anything that we haven't asked you that you would like people to know about Jeremy Porter or Atlanta Motorsports Park? Um, it's It's been a privilege to have you here, and uh, we, we want to have you back again because this is a, a very interesting thing that you've done and the way that you've done it and uh you know you're a genuinely good person and we'd like to be associated with good people so uh well thanks for lying to everybody oh get, get out of here get get out of here get out of here <laughs> you know it, it you know I, nothing about me but you know we're a, we're a club of people that just enjoy driving fast cars and sports cars and hanging out with people that are really interesting. I mean, we have such cool, interesting people here and 99% of them check their ego at the door. I mean, you would be blown away at the, the people that are in these gates. And I mean, billionaires, everybody else that you would never know it. And they're just good humans and good people. And we just have a lot of fun, you know? So if you're a person that enjoys having fun and hanging out with cool and interesting people and owns a sports car with no experience or wants to own a race car with no experience, we're your place. And if you want to do something with your family and go-karting and start them at, you know, four years old and the entire family, husband, wife, you know, father, son, daughters, everybody can do it. It's it's your sport and it's extremely affordable. Well, so, let's, let's do this again as uh as the years progress, while we still have the years, because the story needs to be told, uh, people need to know about this facility. It is a fabulous facility. And um, you've done, you, I can tell you from my personal experience, when my grandson came home one day, and my grandson races shifter carts up at your place, he came home one day and said that he had set up Elio Castroneves' cart and then traded laps with uh elio castroneves on the track one day when he was on his way to the daytona 24 and stopped by and wanted to to check out a, a specific brand of cart you know and he had pictures and he said he was just a regular guy and we all know that he isn't just a regular guy but the more you're around a lot of these people they are regular folks they just have a passion and they've pursued it and uh, that's exactly yeah. that's exactly what you have done uh, and it's yeah yeah it, it's just cool. I mean, most of the racers are just great people. I mean, here's something that, you know, Ken Block, the late Ken sure. Block, yeah. uh, his daughter was here with uh, his, his wife um, last week testing in, you know, USF 2000s and just wonderful humans and wonderful people. I mean, and God, what a legend we lost with that guy from a freaking snowmobile accident. Yeah, I mean, right. it's like Michael Schumacher falling over on skis after doing 200 miles an hour around racetracks for his whole life. It's yeah. just bananas. So, you know, it's it's fun. So, Well, congratulations to you. Continued success. And, and thanks for taking of your time to be here on Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. Thank you, guys. Take care. All right, Tim, so last week I went on a little diatribe about uh, scholarship programs for people that want to get into the automotive industry. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that you used to be able to learn stuff about cars from your dad or your uncle out in the driveway. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you did your own stuff, your own repairs. And so you got to know your way around tools. And maybe if you grew up on a farm, you got your way to, you know, know your way around tools and, and mechanical things and that. 
That stuff isn't available as much as it used to be. No, it isn't. So before you, you know, get involved in, in going to a dealership or, a, you know, a, a manufacturer or something like that, the best way to get some basic knowledge is automotive technology training. And Lanier Technical College offers it at two campuses in Dawson County and Barrow County. And you can get an automotive technology degree. You can get an automotive technology diploma. And you can get certificate levels in chassis technician, climate control, electrical and electronic systems, which is a very good thing to have nowadays. Engine performance, uh, engine repair and transmission and transaxle uh, specialist. And these also kind of coincide with the ASE certifications that you need. You can't come out of a technical college with an ASC certification because you have to work in a dealership or the manufacturer for so many years before you can take the test. But this is a huge head start. Mm-hmm. So before you you know jump into a scholarship program, perhaps, you could use, a, in Georgia, if you're a resident, you can use the HOPE grant or the HOPE scholarship right. to take this program. But uh, industry scholarship that's offered by Ford or GM or, or uh, Mopar, before you jump on that bandwagon, make sure that you've got your ducks in a row as far as knowing one end of the car from the other and how the systems work with each other and independently of each other. And the automotive technology course at Lanier Technical College is a place to get a great start. Oh, yeah. And Just, you can be from in-state, out-of-state. Right. And they'll take care of you well. You'll come out and be welcomed by the dealer when you have this level of training uh, because it takes a load off of them. Oh, sure. But this, if you combine it with dealer training, which most of the dealers have special programs you go to, it's just a a double whammy of success. Sure. So check this. If you've got a heart for working on cars, coming out of a school gives an employer, such as myself, the the idea that he's not wasting his time because you, you have... Uh, spent your time and your money to learn the basics, and that's important. Absolutely. Check that out at LanierTech.edu. Perfect reaction time. Reaction time, Tim, you're up. Okay. Jeremy Porter, what do you think? What an exciting story. I mean, a guy that uh, very little formal education that just knows what he wanted or determined what he wanted as he went. And like you said during the interview, he, he paid his tuition um, by not going to school. Right. You know, you spend hours on the phone with people developing those talents. That's, mm-hmm. you know, that's something he's using on a daily basis. That's right. Um, and I truly believe that he's not he's not money motivated by it. Oh, no. Money's not enough. Huh. Yeah. You know, so. He enjoys the challenge of life. Yes. And an indoor ski slope. Yeah, in that something? Interesting. Yeah, very. Well, we hope the folks enjoyed it because, uh, like you say, very interesting, interesting perspective. And we're sure. going to we're going to bring him back on in a in a year or so and see where he's at now. Okay, what he's doing. I'll be looking forward to it. So will I. Every week, Tim, we talk on both the radio show and the podcast here about year one, the classic car restoration experts, classic mm-hmm. muscle cars specifically. Right. You know what they offer besides parts and, um, and you know, doodads for your car? I don't want to say doodads, but parts, things to update your car. Right. Okay? Right. You know what else they offer? What? what? They offer advice on 
where to go with your project. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to do things in a certain sequence sometimes. Well, sure. they know the ins and outs. So what's what's not in the catalogs uh, that used to be printed and what's not on the website is the expertise of the people that you're talking to on the phone. They have probably built a bunch of cars or have been around a bunch of cars being rebuilt sure. where they know, you know, what's going to work, what's not going to work, and to guide you in the right direction and maybe to even help you order the parts in the proper sequence. Right. You know, you don't need a pile of parts when you're starting with a car. You need the parts to come to you progressively. And if you sit down and do some planning and find out what they have available, what's in stock, what's hard to get, that that type mm-hmm. of thing, it can help you with the success of your project turning out. Because, uh, you know, if, if you've got a car down to the bare bones, you, know, you don't start by ordering the upholstery first. But you would be surprised how many people oh, do that. Yeah. And as the project evolves, things change, and your ideas might change, and you might want to change the result of the end product. Well, and, you know, we've talked about digital dashes and stuff that are available for your car, your muscle car from year one. That's something you want to plan ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to make sure that you've got the area for it to put it in the car, what's available out there how it's going to hook up to your engine transmission uh, combination, those types of things. Right. And, you know, they can, they can help you walk through all of this stuff if you do some planning. They know, you know, starting at A, you're trying to get to Z, and they know how to get you there. Yes. To check out not only the parts, but check out the expertise of the great folks at Year One, the classic muscle car restoration folks. Check them out at yearone.com. Okay. Time for our thank yous. We want to thank uh, Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One for helping out every week with this podcast. Uh, Bill Wilson, our producer who puts up with it all. And Tim, thanks for being here. Oh, sure. It's my going into the, we're going into the 11th year of the radio show. This is our first year of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've gotten 15 episodes done so far. Jeremy Porter from Atlanta Motorsports Park. We want to thank him for being a special guest. And Aaron Hughes, General Sales Manager for Green Ford. He's going to be featured on with us uh, every month now oh, on the podcast. Good. So that'd be good fun. Next week's podcast is going to be Hot Shoe, Randy Popest. Oh. We're going to talk about how he started. and uh, <laughs> Is there anything he hasn't driven uh, really it's, fast? It's an amazing story, and how he got there is really an amazing story. Let's not forget about Bud's Garage, a radio show on WDUN out of uh, Gainesville, Georgia, which features uh, local guests and their expertise. And uh, we want to thank the Jacobs family for the use of the Jacobs Media Studios to do this podcast every week and uh, give it the quality that we demand. Exactly. We are demanding guys. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here, Bud Scratch Overdrive, the podcast. Have a great week.